My name is Pastor Jared. I'm the pastor of the Access community here at Res Life Church. So this is the young adults community of a larger body that exists here at Res Life. And if you don't have a home church, we would encourage you, come sit with us. I know we mentioned it before, but Sunday mornings, we all sit together. And there's not many churches like Res Life. We just love Res Life in the community that's built here. And so, so honored. If it's your first time, honored to have you with us. And just like so excited and so expectant for what God's going to do in each of our hearts tonight. And so it's going to be good. So I'm excited to share with you tonight. Tonight we get to talk about the spirit of truth. It's rally night, and we're talking about one of, one of my favorite parts of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, right? I don't know if you can have favorite parts of the Trinity, but he's kind of my favorite. It's awesome. And so when we hear the Holy Spirit, we might think of like a few different things. You know, there might be a few things that pop in your head. One of those things could be uh, this, this picture up here, a little dove, right? You might think of a little dove, and that's biblical, right? We know Matthew 3, when Jesus gets baptized, he goes into the Jordan River, and then he comes up, and it says the heavens open, and then the Spirit of God descends from heaven like a dove on Jesus, right? It says like a dove. doesn't necessarily mean it was a dove, but sometimes I play that scene out in my head, and I imagine the Holy Spirit just coming, and there's like a big like angelic choir in the background. It's just like, oh, this is my spirit, you know, and it's just like resting on Jesus. So that might be what you think of, or you might be thinking of something like this, like a little mist, you know, like a mist kind of over the mountains, or sometimes a mist that moves in and around our lives, you know, different things like that. Um, Sometimes we might think, you know, Holy Spirit, what is a spirit? That doesn't really make much sense. We don't have much context for that, context for that. Or when I say the Holy Spirit, you might think of like uh, maybe a reel that you've seen of a lady and uh, she was on Family Feud with Steve Harvey, and she's about to give, like, you know, her answers for one of the things, and she's like, hold up, Steve Holy Spirit, activate, activate, act, right? You remember that? How many of you guys think of that, right? That might be what we think about Holy Spirit. It's like, okay, I don't necessarily need, but now I need the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, you activate, right? And so I don't know what your experience has been with the Holy Spirit sitting here in this room tonight, but I'm sure that God is going to bring some clarity to who the Holy Spirit actually is and how we as Christians can relate to him and how he was meant to affect our life. So tonight, that's, that's where we're going. That's what we want to accomplish tonight. We're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit, who he is, where he's found in scripture. So we're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. But then number two, we're going to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, and then the presence of the Holy Spirit upon us. So with all that being said, let's pray. Jesus, we come before you. God, and we boldly say that you are the main attraction tonight. God, this night is not about me. It's not about access at Res Life Church. Lord, it's about you. And it's about encounter with you. And Lord, we, we're here in this room because we firmly believe that one encounter with you can change the trajectory of our life. So we, we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come and do what you want to tonight. We give you full reign and full lordship. We love you, God. Amen. Come on. All right, so our key verse that we're going to be centering, kind of it'll be mentioned a few times as I'm speaking tonight, but it's John 14, verse 15 through 17. So it says, Jesus is talking to his disciples at this point. This is one of the 
parts right before Jesus is about to actually leave the earth, right before he's about to go and die on the cross. And he's talking to his disciples in an intimate moment here. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So we see Jesus talking to his, his boys, his disciples, and one of the last times that he's going to be together with them. And he mentions, and he says, this, the person, the spirit of truth is going to abide with you forever. He's the one that's going to walk with you hand in hand. So we see Jesus mention this third part of the Trinity, who is the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? We've heard a lot of different things. Like we said, we think of a lot of different things around the Holy Spirit, but who is the Holy Spirit? Very simply and very foundationally, the Holy Spirit is God. He is God. I don't know how many times we think about that, but as Christians, we believe that God is a three-part being. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And as God, he deserves praise and honor and glory just as much as Jesus does and just as much as the Father does, right? And so I don't know if we fully grasped, grasped this before, but the Holy Spirit has been in perfect unity with the Father and with the Son for all of eternity. And we see this present in Scripture. In the very first, uh, in the very first verse of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. It's not like all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just, bam, popped up in New Testament. It's like the Holy Spirit's been with God and with Jesus, God the Father and with Jesus since the beginning. This is Genesis 1, verse 1 through 2. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So God existed long before there was ever a creation. And the, he, he was in beautiful fellowship with himself at that point and receiving praise and honor and glory. And who was he in fellowship with? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were in beautiful fellowship with one another before there was ever a creation. And from the fullness of that fellowship and unity, they breathe out creation. And so the Holy Spirit is an active part of the triune Godhead. He is God. He is God. Now, he's not just a God of the New Testament, but also very present and involved in the Old Testament as well. Sometimes we read the New Testament, we read the book of Acts, and we're like, all of a sudden it's like, I don't know, like a jack-in-a-box. Like God's been like winding this thing up for a while. It's like, bop! There's the Holy Spirit, and it's just like this wild scene where like the windows fly open, the tongues of fire above everybody's head, and we're like, wow, where has Holy Spirit been this whole time? Like, he just showed up. Or it's like a character unlocked in your favorite video game. You know, he like shows up on the scene, you have to defeat him before you can unlock him. You know, you're like, oh, I've never seen you before. This is awesome. You know, it's like it's all of a sudden he just enters in on the scene. But if, we'll, if we think about it and we look across scripture, uh, the Holy Spirit's actually been actively present and involved in, pe in people's lives all throughout the Old Testament as well. 
And I'm just going to give you a few examples here. So in Exodus 31, verse 1 through 5, this is right when Moses is receiving all the instructions in order to build a house of worship for God. And this is what the Lord says to Moses. He says, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works in gold, silver, bronze, cutting jewels in settings and carving woods and to work in all manner of workmanship. So we see in the Old Testament, the spirit of God was actually present on Bezalel to in for artistic abilities in order to create a house of worship. He was supernaturally given the ability to create artistic things that had never existed at that time. It was like, that's awesome. The Holy Spirit was so present in the book of Exodus. And then the second one is Judges 15 verse 4. And this is specifically talking about the life of Samson. And Samson was a man in the Old Testament who God would when his spirit would come on them, he would literally have supernatural strength. And so this is what it says, Judges 15, verse 4. It says, when he, speaking of Samson, came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hand. So these are just a few verses, like the Holy Spirit's been present from the very beginning of time when God breathed out creation, like the Holy Spirit was so present there, but then he's been present throughout the whole of humanity all the way throughout, right? So we're talking about his presence, right? So if the Holy Spirit has been present from the beginning, if he's been actively involved in people's lives in the Old Testament, then how should we today or how have people in the past related to the Holy Spirit? And that's where we're going to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, and then the presence of the Holy Spirit upon us. So As seen through those previous verses mentioned, the Spirit of God was with people in the Old Testament. And when the Holy Spirit was with them, they actually felt the power of God upon them. The Holy Spirit genuinely worked in their lives, although some of them weren't necessarily committed to Christ. And that's a very, very sobering statement. Because sometimes we see people even in our daily lives and in and around, or maybe I've experienced this personally, I'll get into that in a minute, but where the Holy Spirit actually works in their life and you're seeing crazy power from God actually flowing through their life, but they might not actually have a deep heart connection to Jesus. And so we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works alongside people for his glory, even though the people sometimes aren't necessarily the best representation of a a follower of God. And so we're going to look at three examples here in the Old Testament of people who had the Holy Spirit work mightily through them, even though they didn't necessarily have a heart connection to God. The first one was Gideon in Judges 6, in Judges 6 through 8. And if you want to write these down, you can read these stories a little bit later. They're really riveting, but you'll see some of these these themes kind of play out. So Gideon in Judges 6, Gideon was the lowest of the low. He was like the ultimate underdog. He was from the smallest family and from the smallest clan, from the smallest tribe in all of Israel. Like nobody expected Gideon to be a great man. But the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon one day and said, I call you a mighty man of valor. And from that point, God 
surrounds him with an army, right, to defeat the Midianites. Now, the Midianites had an army at that time that's estimated to be around over 100,000 people in it. So Gideon's like, all right, I got to get as many people as possible. And the Lord's like, hey, you know, smallest person from the smallest clan, from the smallest tribe. Why don't you, I give you the smallest army. How about 300? So it's, it's Gideon, 300 against 100,000. And guess what? He wins. And God, through Gideon, actually leads the nation of Israel in deliverance, in deliverance from the Midianite people. So the Holy Spirit was clearly with him and worked supernaturally to bring this great division. However, after the fact, after they had won the battle, Gideon takes some of the spoils from their war and he actually creates a false image. It's called an ephod, which would have been like a hat back then that priests wore. And he creates this false image and he himself actually starts to worship this false idol. And then he actually leads a whole community of people to go and worship that same false idol with him. And you're scratching your head. You're like, whoa, like, dude, didn't you just see the power of God move in your life? Like how, how quickly are you turning away from the God who empowered you to defeat a hundred thousand person army? And now you're turning to something that you made with your hands, right? The Holy Spirit was with him, right? It was with him, empowering him, but there wasn't necessarily that deep heart connection to God. Another example, I mentioned him already, Samson. Samson had supernatural power from the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit would, would come with him, he would literally perform feats of strength that are literally mind-boggling. Like, it doesn't, this is crazy. Judges 6, 14 through 16 is where we kind of see his um, whole life play out. And specifically in Judges 16, verse 1, it records, this is what Samson did by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the times he came up to a gate of the city and they weren't letting him in. And so he literally took the gates of the city and pulled them out of the ground by the Holy Spirit, put both of those gates of the city, po both posts of the gates of the city on his back and then walked up around 20 miles up to a next hill, and like with these things on his back by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's like supernatural. What the world? That makes no sense. The Holy Spirit was clearly empowering him, and God used him mightily to bring deliverance from the Philistines for the nation of Israel in many ways. But as you read, and as you go into Judges 16, you see that sexual sin and a moral decline led him away from God. And he actually sold the anointing of God on his life for a prostitute. And he ended up a blind slave in the hands of his own enemy. And so it's like he, the Holy Spirit was obviously moving so wildly in his life, but the Holy Spirit was with him the whole time. But he wasn't really ever submitted to the Holy Spirit, was he? He was never really submitted. The last one is, uh, is Peter from the Bible, that's the, the disciple, Jesus's right-hand man. In Luke 10, we see Peter and a bunch of disciples go out um, by commission of Jesus. And it says that they came back and they reported to Jesus saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So, so Peter would have been among that crew. So he would have casted out demons in Jesus's name. He would have seen the power of God on display. 
In Matthew 17, Jesus takes him and a few others up to a top of a hill, and he literally sees Jesus transfigured before his very eyes. Like he sees the resurrected form of Jesus. He has powerful encounters with the Lord. The Holy Spirit was with him. But we see in John 18, when Jesus is under trial and about to be put to death, Peter denies that he even knows Jesus three times. And some of you tonight might resonate with some of these examples that I'm giving tonight. Maybe you've seen the Holy Spirit move in your life through you or in the lives of the people close to you. And maybe you've even experienced him and been used by him, but the Holy Spirit has been with you on the outside. But my question is, are you really submitted to his lordship? You might be living in sin, maybe even apart from God. And maybe everyone around you is fooled and thinks that you're all good, but you know those things that in, in secret that you do. You know where you find yourself on the weekends. You know the jokes that you make. And I'm here to tell you plainly, just because you see the power of God move in and through your life, it does not necessarily mean that you are right with God. It doesn't. And we can't use that as a measure of our spiritual state before, the God, before God the Father. We can't. It's a heart connection, and it's all about submitting to the lordship of Jesus. And so as we can see through these examples, God's never been satisfied with just being with people on the outside. He has a greater intention. And this greater intention was revealed through his prophet Ezekiel. So when Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament and God empowered him by his spirit to speak on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. And in Ezekiel 36, verse 27, he spoke of a coming day when God's people would return to him and seek to follow him. And speaking on behalf of the Lord, Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put, here we go, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. This was God's intention from the beginning to have his spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth inside of man. And we see that. So now we see that was God with us, but now we're going to look at the Holy Spirit present in us, right? We're going to look at his presence in us, and we're going to go back to John 14, verse 17. You can see Jesus. You can see Jesus longing for the day when the Holy Spirit would no longer be with people on the outside, but would actually be able to be in people on the inside, because he knew He knew that if it was just with on the outside, it wouldn't necessarily mean heart connection to the Father. And he was after a people that were pure and holy and blameless before him. He was after a people that would be able to be filled with his spirit and go out and represent the kingdom of God in every single circle of their life. That's what Jesus and that's what God has been about from the very beginning. And we see this in John 14, 15 through 17. Jesus says again, I'm going to read it again. This is the same verse we read earlier. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper. Can you just hear the longing of Jesus as he's saying this to his close friends? He's saying, guys, there's going to come a day when all of this is going to make sense. 
I know it seems really hard and it seems like it's impossible to follow me. It seems like it's impossible to get over that sin. It seems like impossible to share about me with other people and your coworkers and different things like that. And he's saying, listen, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when I'm going to be able to give you another helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him. Why? Because they're fallen in and of themselves and they don't know him. But you know him for he dwells with you. You can see this. Jesus knows it. He's dwelled with the disciples up until this point and he will be in you. It will be in you. As I was doing some research into that verse in um, sometimes God uses different words of scripture to, to lead us into like spiritual truths. And so when we looked at those words in their original language, um, in the original language that the Bible was written in, it can provide a more full meaning and full picture of what the author was intending when he wrote that verse. And so um, when the word for spirit that in that verse, so the word spirit, when he says the spirit of truth, it was translated from the original Hebrew to Greek as pneuma. That's the word for it, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. And this, this word means a wind or a breath or a spirit. So that's what it means. This word pneuma means wind, breath, or spirit. And so here you could say that Jesus was longing for the day when his disciples would be filled with the breath of truth, the breath of truth or the spirit of truth. And this is actually a beautiful callback to Genesis 2. When God scooped up in creation, he creates the sun, moon, stars. He creates earth and land and sea and sky. He creates sea creatures and all these animals. But then on the culmination of his creation, he bends down and he scoops up a piece of lifeless clay and he fashions it into a man. And in Genesis 2, it says that this, this lifeless piece of clay received one thing that made it come alive. It was the breath of God. And Jesus, in God, in that moment, after fashioning this lifeless lump of clay, breathes his breath, his life into this lump of clay. And in Genesis 2, after that breath was breathed into Adam, it says that man became a living being. And this is just a masterful foreshadow of how Jesus would eventually come and redeem the whole of humanity. By breathing the breath of truth, the Holy Spirit into his disciples. In John 22, John 20 verse 22 records a scene so strikingly similar to that of Genesis 2 at the very beginning. Jesus, again, with his disciples after he has been after, just before, I can't remember the timeline off the top of my head, but J Jesus is with his disciples again and he's in an intimate moment with all of them again. And it says that Jesus had gathered his disciples together. And in John 20 verse 22, it says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It's almost like J Jesus, remember God has existed as God for e the whole of eternity past. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit actively present at that moment when they scooped up that lifeless clay called Adam and they breathed life into them. And now Jesus, a part of the Trinity, I just imagine Jesus thinking back to that moment when he breathed life into Adam and he became a living being. I imagine Jesus remembering, thinking of that moment and now looking at his 12 disciples. And what does he do? He breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Could it be that Jesus, when he was looking at his 12 disciples, actually saw 12 lifeless lumps of clay? And he knew that when the Holy Spirit went from with them to in them, that they too would become living beings. These disciples who were dead spiritually, as lifeless as that lump of clay in Genesis 2 were made alive again. And the Holy Spirit no longer resided with them on the outside, but now resided in them on the inside. This is what Jesus desires for each of us. The Bible is very clear that each of us, apart from Christ, are dead spiritually. Before we come to know Christ, we are dead We, like that lifeless lump of clay, just like Adam and the disciples in John 20, we need to come to God in repentance. We need to ask God to bring new life into us. Ephesians 2 verse 1 expounds on this fact when it says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And when we turn and we repent from our sin, we turn from our old way of walking The Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of us. It's like Jesus at that moment, when we come to him, we say, God, I don't want to live my old life anymore. I don't want to live in these habits that are breathing death into my life. I want to come to you. It's like God scoops us up and he holds us in that moment. And Jesus goes, and he breathes on us. Holy Spirit enters in us. And we who were dead in our trespasses and sins now become alive again. We become a living being. That's what God desires for each and every one of us, the Holy Spirit entering inside of us when we get saved. Some people, you'll hear this called the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and that happens at salvation when we give our lives to Christ. And so now we looked at the Holy Spirit being with us, how it's possible to live or see the power of God without heart connection to him. But now we've seen Holy Spirit in us, how when the Holy Spirit comes on the inside, he makes us totally new and a living being again right before the Father. Now we're gonna look at Holy Spirit upon us. Jesus is not, he's not done. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us and he's teaching us how to walk this holy life. But there's also, there is, and Jesus expounds on this fact that there is a separate experience that would come. And this experience would be a fulfillment of what John the Baptist prophesied in Matthew 3, verse 11. He said, John the Baptist prophesied, he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but there's one who is coming after me, who's mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
You might hear this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I know there's a lot of weird talk and jibber jabber around the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people don't know it. And some traditions raise you to believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is actually not from God. But here it's mentioned so plainly in scripture, John the Baptist. This wasn't an idea that we just created as charismatic Christians. This wasn't an idea that we created. This was an idea that God had for the whole of humanity to walk in the fullness of what he paid for on that cross. And John the Baptist talks about it. He says, Jesus will come and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is the one, one of the first times that Jesus is ever talked about publicly. John the Baptist is the first preacher. He's the first prophet at that time. One of the first things that he says about Jesus is that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So clearly this is a great importance to God. And Jesus also played, placed a great emphasis on this. In fact, after he gives the great commission, so Jesus lives his whole life. He breathes on, the whole, on his disciples. They receive the Holy Spirit, but now he gives the great commission to his disciples. You know, the one that says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creatures. You know, sometimes I thought about that verse. I'm like, does that mean I have to preach to my dog? Like all creatures? Like, why didn't you just say like all humans? You know, maybe it's just like walk in the woods, be like, dear, hey, don't run away. Like, do you know my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You know, all those different stuff, but. Yeah, don't run away from him. Come on. So he's giving the great commission. He says, all, all, preach the gospel to all creation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to, commit, to obey everything I've commanded you, right? And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This, the great commission, is basically the culmination of everything that Jesus came to accomplish on the earth. It's like he left heaven for this moment that humans could actually have the spirit of God living on the inside of them. And then they could go as little Christs and rest, represent him in the whole of humanity. This is like the culmination of what God came to do was the great commission. And we know that, but do we, do we know that Jesus actually gave a caveat to the great commission? He actually gave an intro, a before step to the great commission in Acts 1-4, this is his caveat, his instruction, his intro into the Great Commission. He says, in being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. So we just heard the Great Commission, like literally in Matthew, Matthew 28. We just heard the Great Commission. The disciples just heard the Great Commission. And now Jesus is saying, wait, 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 wait. Hey, guys, don't go yet. Don't go. He says, do not depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He goes on to explain why this is so important for them in Acts 1 verse 8. He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the, of the earth. I just like, I, sometimes I just like to place myself in the story and I like to play out like what happens in this. I could see the disciples, they literally just got the best pump t pep talk of their life. It's like halftime, you know, Jesus, coach Jesus has the 12 disciples all in, all in the locker room. And he's like, hey guys, listen, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And I just see like Peter and John, they're all like eye black on. They're like, oh, come on, bro. He's like, oh, that's good. Like go there. Come on. Like I'm in it. You breathe 
life into me. I feel that life. Oh, yeah, I'm ready to go, right? Let's go. And he's like, go into all the world, preach the gospel. And he's like, all right, yeah. And they're all like slapping the believe sign as they're leaving the locker room. They're like, yeah, let's go. We're going to crush the enemy like he's a defeated foe. Let's go, right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus, Coach Jesus, runs out of the locker room. And he goes, hey, boys, 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 wait, where are you guys going? You don't have any power. You don't have what it takes yet. You, come back in here. Actually, come back to Jerusalem. Yeah, wait for the promise of the Father. Because if you try to go without him, you're just going to get eaten for lunch. And that's what the disciples did. Recluse into an upper room. Waited, waited, waited for the promise of the Father. And they filled him. They came. Tongues of fire appeared above their heads. They spoke in tongues. We know the story. The, the, the windows blew open with a great wind. And that day, those 12 disciples who may have been afraid, may have been scared, the one that they just, they put their trust in for the past three years is literally gone and promised that I'm never, I'm not gonna come back in your lifetime. And at that moment, those scared disciples, one of which was Peter, the one who denied him, the one that was so scared of the potential threat to his own life that he denied Jesus to a 12-year-old girl who accused him of knowing Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit entered inside of Peter, he wasn't denying Jesus anymore. He was the one pulling out that soapbox, stepping on up, addressing a crowd of over 3,000 people and saying, you guys, you guys need to repent. Jesus is the Christ and he's the only way. And guess what? I'm, I've found life in him and there's life found in no other name because there's no other name under heaven by which I must be saved, by which we must be saved. Turn for the repentance of your sins that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is that same Peter that denied Jesus to a 12-year-old girl preaching to thousands. What happened in between? the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe if you, some of you can relate to the disciples in this room. You've been trying so hard to follow Jesus on your own, but you can't find any sort of breakthrough. It's like you're a hamster on a hamster wheel, just going around and around, expending so much energy. I should be further along than this than I am right now. Maybe you've been trying in your own strength to do the things of God and to follow his commands, but remember what Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36, verse 27. He said, I'll get, I'm speaking on behalf of God. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new, put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God wants to fill us tonight. He wants to fill us with his sort of power. Power to overcome sin. Power to live a holy life. Power to represent him in every single avenue of our life. He doesn't want the Holy Spirit just to be with you, a part of, apart from heart connection to God. He wants the Holy Spirit to be in you, 
to transform every single part of your life. And then he wants the Holy Spirit to be upon you so that you can live in the fullness of what Jesus Christ paid for. So as I close this message, I'm actually gonna ask the worship team to come back up um, to the stage. We're gonna head back into an atmosphere of praise and worship and actually a time of response to the Lord. And I feel like the Lord is asking us to respond to him, first of all, in repentance. Specifically, repentance to the Holy Spirit in some of the ways that we viewed him and some of the ways that we've treated him in our life. Now, sometimes when we think of the word repentance, we think of like a big like sign maybe that we've seen at a street corner and it says turn or burn, right? Or you're going to hell or different things like that. And they're like, repent, the kingdom of God's coming in, right? Whatever that is, right? And it makes you, it makes you feel like, like, why are you pointing out all these wrong things? Like, I don't know, it makes you feel shame, makes you feel guilt, makes you feel wanna, makes you actually wanna hide the things that are wrong in your life so that you can put on a fake front, right? And I just wanna say, that's not repentance, Repentance is supposed to be a joyful thing for us as Christians. It's supposed to be a joyful thing for us as non-believers. What, what repentance is, the, the word literally means to change the way you think so that it changes the way that you live. And so repentance is basically taking something that's literally breathing death into your life and saying, wow, I didn't really know that existed in my life. I'm, I'm gonna take that out. And then it's like Jesus saying, great, now that that's out, how about you have this that breathes life into your life now, right? Repentance is like me driving my 2005 G6 that needs new brakes. Like, that's like, repentance is like me trading that in for Jesus's Lamborghini. And I don't know about you, I wouldn't be terribly sad about that. I would actually be filled with a lot of joy. And so I just want to set the scene now for this. There's going to be things that I'm going to say here and I feel like the Lord's calling like specific things that we as a community need to repent of. And I just want to call it out and just say like, there's no shame in needing to repent. We're all human and we've all fallen short in different areas, right? Now we don't want to stay in that fallen way. And the only way out of that is through confession and repentance. So let's do it together, right? We all want to look more like Jesus. There's no shame in wanting to look more like Jesus. I've heard it said that 10 seconds of honesty with God can do more than your life than 10 years of hiding behind a religious mask. So let's be honest tonight. Let's be honest with where we're at with the Lord. And so I specifically feel like there's some things that we're supposed to go after tonight, some ways that um, the Lord is calling us to repent specifically for ways that we've viewed the Holy Spirit or way that we've related to the Holy Spirit. And so as I read these, I just want you to close your eyes and just like, just ask yourself honestly these questions. Just be honest with yourself tonight. Is this me? Is this me? I feel like the, the Lord wants, to, wants us to repent of this attitude of never acknowledging the fact Number one, never acknowledging the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, that he's actually a person of the Trinity that deserves praise and honor and glory. And we've never approached him with that sort of reverence before. The Holy Spirit is God. 
and he deserves to be praised. Number two, we've closed ourselves off from the Holy Spirit. We've heard his voice either telling us to do something, wanting to speak to us through the word, but we've said to us, ah, Holy Spirit, this isn't a really good time right now. Um, could you try again later? Or not right now, Holy Spirit. We've heard his voice and we've intentionally denied his invitation. Number three, we've treated the Holy Spirit as a tool to be used rather than the Lord of our life who is with us at every moment. We've only looked to him when we need him. And when we pray for someone and we're in a time of worship, then we look to the Holy Spirit and say, all right, now's your time. But when it's not your time, we just keep him kind of under lock and key and we're afraid to kind of let him out. And we fail to acknowledge or even consider his presence throughout our daily lives. And number four, we've tried to do life without the Holy Spirit's empowerment. We, like Peter, genuinely have a heart for God and want to follow him in his ways, but we feel stuck. And we've tried to muscle our way through the Christian life, striving in a sort of way, but have never opened ourselves up to a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been jaded or, or hurt by a misrepresentation of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you grew up in a church that never talked about the Holy Spirit or maybe painted him and his gifts in a bad light. But God and the Holy Spirit wants to show you tonight who he really is through repentance. And so if any, any of these things have resonated with you, I want to encourage you, the Holy Spirit's not mad at you. God is not mad at you. He's actually waiting for you and eagerly desiring for you to repent. Eagerly desiring to shower his forgiveness on you. The Bible says that God's delights in showing mercy. He loves to forgive and he loves to extend his grace. And so if you feel, if any one of those topics hit you in the heart and you're saying, wow, that was me. Like I, I, need, I need to get honest with God right now. I need to repent and I need to come to know Christ in a more full way through the avenue of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna count to three and Mackenzie and Landon are gonna lead us in some songs of praise and worship. If that's you and you're saying, I wanna, I wanna get right, I wanna get right. I would encourage you, I feel like this is what the Lord's leading us to do, is to stand up and actually come to the front here and just get on your knees before the Lord and just have a moment with God. Ask for his repentance. He loves to forgive you. And so if that's you, I'm gonna count to three and then you can stand up and come up. Ready, one, two, three.